if I've not met you, my name is Scott. I am one of the pastors here. And I just wanted to say thank you so much for being the community you are. Like truly from the bottom of my heart, we wouldn't be the church today without you. Because you know what? I say this all the time, but you can have the greatest preacher, you can have the greatest worship band, but if the community's culture is not loving and reflecting Christ, people don't come back. And the reason why people stay is because of you, because you love Jesus and genuinely love people. So from the bottom of my heart and ministry team, we just want to say thank you so much for making the new life the church that it is today. You can give yourselves a round of applause. How's that? So we're in a uh, week six of our work series. It's called Rework, and it's all about God wanting to use us wherever we find ourselves. We don't have to be in ministry to be used by God. He wants to use us in our workplace, in our family environments, out in the community to share the love of Christ with everyone who's in the area of our influence. And last week, Stacy talked about the fact that we're a sent people, that God wants to send us into the world to share the gospel of his love and his grace, and that we're actually ambassadors for Christ. And we do that by the way that we live and by entering into conversations with people about Jesus. And what we do is we introduce them to the real Jesus of the Bible, the Jesus that came to die to take away our sins, that Jesus loves all people. He wants to redeem and restore them into relationship with the Father and the Holy Spirit. But here's the thing. How do we do that practically? And that's what today is about. This week's message is about conversations that matter. So the question is, do you know how to have a gospel conversation with people? Can you actually articulate the gospel in a way that people will actually listen? Can you use your testimony of what God's done to share the love of God? And what does the Bible tell us about how we're actually meant to share the gospel? 1 Peter 3 tells us how we're actually meant to go about this. And, and Peter obviously walked with Jesus for three years in his ministry. So he's a good person to probably ask, how do we do this? Because he saw Jesus do it. And he's talking to Christians outside Jerusalem. So he sends this letter, not to a specific church, but to all Christians who are in Judea, they're out in Samaria, they're out in Asia Minor. So he sends this out. And this is what he says. Who is going to harm you if you're eager to do good? But even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. Do not fear their threats. Do not be frightened. But in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. Do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. For it is better, if it is God's will, to suffer for doing good than for doing evil." For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. He has put to death in the body, but made alive in the spirit. Would you join me in prayer? Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. It's so rich and it's so true that in the pages of scripture, we see your love and your grace. We see the gospel from the start to the finish. God, I pray that you would empower me to preach your gospel in truth but also in grace and in love, Lord. That they wouldn't look to me in the end, but they'd only look to you, the one who brings life and life in all its fullness. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So I'm going to demonstrate how you share the gospel. You filthy, wicked people. Every single one of you is a sinner and you're all going to hell. 
Those who steal, you're going to burn in the eternal lake of fire for all of eternity. Those who are sexually permissive, you are going to suffer pain for the length of eternity. You are going to have weeping and gnashing of teeth. It's going to be that bad. Turn or burn. Who's with me? Who wants to go evangelizing with me? Anyone? No, I wouldn't want to go either. Why? Because we're meant to preach the gospel. What does gospel mean? The gospel means good news, right? That doesn't mean we hide from the truth. Are those things true? Yeah. If we're not in Christ, we are going to suffer. But that's not how we preach the gospel. Is that how Jesus preached the kingdom of God in the gospels? Is that how Jesus talked to tax collectors, to prostitutes and sinners? No. Jesus never treated sinners with disdain or disgust. He loved them and he invited them into conversation and into relationship. Jesus actually ate with them and hung out with them. And the Jewish religious rulers of the time, they were disgusted and they rebuked Jesus and his disciples for hanging out with these filthy sinners. And we get it in verse, uh, chapter 5, verse 27 of Luke. After these things, Jesus went out and saw a tax collector named Levi sitting in a tax office. And he said to him, turn or burn? No, he said, follow me. And so we left all, rose up and followed him. Then Levi gave a great feast in his house. And there were a great number of tax collectors and others who sat down with them. And the scribes and the Pharisees complained against his disciples saying, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and filthy sinners? Jesus answered and said to them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I've not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. You see, this is the whole point of Jesus coming, right? To seek and save the lost. Each and every one of us is a sinner. And some accept this invitation like Zacchaeus. And some don't, like the rich young ruler. These are two people that Jesus engaged with that in their culture were really bad sinners that you didn't talk to, you just let them burn. So he sees Zacchaeus up in a tree, he's a tax collector. And all the Jews hated them because they were like traitors of the Jewish faith. Jesus sees him and doesn't rebuke him. He says, Zacchaeus... I'm coming to your place for dinner tonight. Zacchaeus goes, oh, right, right, this is awesome. Like, everyone hates me. He comes, but then Jesus shows him the truth. He tells him the truth about repentance and about the kingdom of God. And Zacchaeus responds to that and says, all right, if I've taken anything from anyone, I'm going to restore it. And I'm going to give to the poor. And so we see this response of Zacchaeus to this introduction to Jesus in this conversation that Jesus has with him. But then we have the rich young ruler on the other hand. The rich young ruler comes to Jesus and says, how do I enter into eternal life? Jesus says, well, you know the laws and the prophet. He goes, I fulfilled them all. Jesus goes, okay, well, sell all you have, give to the poor and come follow me. And the rich young ruler goes, nah, that's too much. It's too much to give up. And he walks it away. Jesus wasn't sharp with him. He invited him into relationship. But the only people Jesus was sharp with were the religious rulers were the ones that were telling people not to talk to others. And this is the other thing. Jesus actually spoke in parables and he engaged with the culture on their level of understanding. And he did this through stories, through parables, so that they understood, like farming illustrations, for example. He'd say, hey, let me tell you a story about the kingdom of God and I'll use a farming example because you all know how that works, right? So what he does, he he comes down and he gives heavenly truths and he gives them the heart of God through stories and earthly examples. So what do we learn from this? 
Jesus never hid from the truth. He always spoke the truth, but he did it with compassion and love. He spoke in a way that was easy for people to understand on their level. And Jesus made it easy to engage with him in heavenly truths. So if that's Jesus' way of teaching and the way he actually reached people, then we should follow that example. And what better person to listen to than Peter? So Peter walks with Jesus for about three and a half years. He's watching Jesus minister. He's listening to Jesus share the gospel of the kingdom of God. He's witnessing Jesus love people, have compassion on people, heal people, call people into his love and his grace. And we've got to remember that every single person that Jesus spoke to, including the disciples, were sinners in need of salvation. So Peter's there and he's watching this. So he's probably the best person to ask of how we should do this. And he actually says, Do not fear their threats. Do not be frightened. But in your hearts revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. Do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience. There's six things in this passage that, um, from this text that Peter tells us that help us understand how to share the gospel with those around us. And where we do, we do it in our workplace, in our family, in our friends, or in the community we find ourselves in. The first thing he says is, do not fear. Do not fear their threats. <clears throat> do not be frightened. You know, we really shouldn't be afraid to share the gospel, to share the love of God with people. But I get it. There are lots of reasons to fear, right? Like when we go to talk to someone, we don't know what to say. We're like, oh, what do I say here? How do I engage here? How do I start this conversation? So this fear wells up and it's like, I don't know what to say. Or we don't, may not know the answer. You're thinking, oh, I hope they don't ask me a question like, why does God allow pain and suffering? Because then I don't know what to say and I'm worried I don't have the answer, so I just won't go there. Or we're scared that people think we're crazy. Like they're the crazy Christians. They're always talking about this Jesus guy. Or we're scared that we might get the answer wrong. What if I answer them and it's wrong and then I'll mess things up so I don't know what to do there. Or we're scared that we'll lose family, friends and colleagues. Here's the thing, but 2 Timothy says that God did not give us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and a sound mind. Church, fear is from the enemy. It's actually from Satan. Because the last thing Satan wants to do or wants is Christians sharing the good news of Jesus. Amen? So what's he going to do? He's going to use his greatest weapon against us, and that is fear. Fear is so powerful, it'll stop us talking. Some people get like frozen in fear, right? So it's a powerful weapon of the enemy. Like the smallest amount of fear can stop you talking about Jesus. Am I right? I mean, I know for myself it can. So if you're afraid of sharing the love of God with someone, no, that's actually not from God. And it's probably a good indication that there's a spiritual battle going on and we actually need to engage in that conversation. Remember, God didn't give us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love. And the most loving thing to do is share the gospel with them, right? Because here's the truth in Romans 10. Paul talks about it. He says, Whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. This invitation is open to all people. That whoever calls on the name of the Lord, whoever repents of their sin and puts their faith and trust in Jesus will be saved. That is a promise. But here's the thing. He continues in verse 14. How shall they call on him who they have not believed? How shall they believe in him whom they have not heard? How shall they hear without a preacher? How shall they preach unless they are sent? He's saying here's this beautiful opportunity that people can be redeemed and restored by this loving God. But how are they going to know that if no one says anything? 
How are they going to know that if no one's sent? How are they going to know that unless someone's willing to step into conversation with them and share the love of God with them? And he continues, he says, As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace, who bring glad tidings of good things. The gospel is good news. How beautiful are the feet of those that bring the gospel. That's how God sees it. But here's the thing. There's something we actually need to settle in our hearts first. Otherwise, fear will dominate us. The first thing we need to settle, Peter tells us, is but in your hearts revere Christ as Lord. You see, do you generally believe or revere Christ as Lord, that he is God Almighty? Or is he just like a saviour that got you a free ticket into heaven? Like, have we settled in a heart that he is Lord? What does it mean to revere Christ as Lord? It's to confess our faith in Jesus Christ. It's that he's my saviour, who saves me from my sins and death. Jesus is sovereign ruler over all powers and authorities, including my life and future. That Jesus is the almighty God that can protect us and provide for us and empower us. And Jesus is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Jesus is not one of these other gods, but he's the only true God. Jesus is the only one who is worthy of our worship. And he's the only one that we should fear. Jesus talks about this in the Gospels. He's like, okay, don't fear him who can just kill the body. He's talking about Satan. He's talking about mankind. He's saying, don't fear people that can kill you. But he continues, he says, fear him who can kill the body, but also send the soul to hell. Like, fear God, because these people that kill the body, that's all they can do. And if you're Christ, you have eternal life. And so the only one we're meant to revere or fear is God himself. And when we revere Christ as Lord in our heart, we're not actually afraid of anything else. We can be courageous to testify about Jesus to anyone at any time. And this actually needs to be settled in our heart because we need to believe in ourselves that we are commissioned to share the gospel. It's just not my job or the preacher's job for 30 minutes on a Sunday. But every one of us is commissioned to share the gospel in our lives. We need to believe that the Holy Spirit is actually in us, is with you, and he wants to empower you with wisdom and love. So ask yourself this question. Does Jesus love this person that's in front of me? And does he want them to repent and put their faith in him and If the answer is yes, then we need to settle in our hearts that we are God's servant in that situation to bring the good news of the gospel. And you might be sitting there and you might be offended that I'm telling you you've got to share the gospel. I was. I remember when I first got saved at Rabina over 10 years ago, Stu Cameron got up and he preached a message about sharing the gospel. And I was like, how dare he tell me to share the gospel? Like, I work on the wharves, I work on the docks, there's 300 guys there. If you bring up Jesus, you literally get into a fight. Like, they'll just bash you. How can he stand there? He doesn't know my situation. How can he stand there and tell me to preach the gospel? It's ridiculous. So funny. I'm sure God's just like, oh, Scotty. (laughs) Come on, mate. But then over the next few months, I found that the thing I loved the most was sharing the good news of Jesus with those guys. Like, God challenged my heart and showed me that that's his will for us. Here's the thing. This is not my opinion on the subject. This is what God's word commands every Christian to do. And when we revere Christ as Lord, then we actually obey him and we obey his word. And once that's settled in our heart, we have to be prepared, it says. He says, always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you. So we've said in our heart that Jesus is Lord. 
and to share the good news about him, but do you, know, do you know God's word? Do you know the gospel? Can you articulate the gospel in a clear and concise way that people can understand? And I'm talking about the full gospel, not half the gospel, because we can get caught up in that in the Western church. We can just go, hey, God, Jesus loves you. I mean, who hasn't heard that? There's stickers all over the place about that. True, but that's not the full gospel, right? That through Adam, sin entered into the world. Humanity fell into sin. And each and every one of us is a sinner. No one is greater than anyone else. We all stand before God, condemned by our sin. But that's why Jesus Christ came. Because God didn't want to leave us in that space. He wanted to redeem us and restore us back into relationship with him. So he goes to the cross, the perfect human being, the one who never sinned, to absorb our sin. That when he died, our sin went to the grave with him. When he rose again to new life, we are born again. For everyone who repents and puts their faith in trust in Jesus. And that doesn't stop there. That's not the end of the gospel. Because once you become a Christian, you become a disciple. And we're called to follow Jesus, to become more like him, to love the world and share the good news. Like this is the full gospel. And we know where we find that. We find it in the Bible, in God's word. So we actually need to learn and be able to articulate that. You know, Philip, after Jesus had resurrected and gone back into heaven, Philip went out and he was preaching the gospel. And the Spirit said to him, go over to that chariot. So he goes over to the chariot and there's an Ethiopian in there reading Isaiah. And he doesn't know what's going on. Like how many of us read the Old Testament sometimes have no idea what's going on? Just me? Okay. Um, so he's reading the Isaiah and he's like, I don't know what's going on here. So Philip goes, oh, what are you doing? He's, oh, I'm reading. I don't know who he's talking about. Is he talking about the prophet? Is he talking about someone else? I don't know what's happening. Philip goes, cool. Hops in the chariot and he explains to him that's all about the Messiah. It's all about this one promise to come and suffer to take away the sin of the world. And you know what? That's available to you, Ethiopian. And he must have talked about baptism because they're moving along and he goes, there's water. What's stopping me being baptized? He's like, nothing. If you repent and put your faith in Jesus, let's do it. So they jump out of the chariot and they get, then he baptizes him. You see, Philip knew and understood God's word and able to share the gospel to this Ethiopian and he's baptized and he's brought into relationship. You know, when I first left school, I did a plumbing apprenticeship. And um, <clears throat> what you do is you do one day at TAFE, theory, and then you do four days in your apprenticeship on the job. And so when you're at TAFE, you do all the theory. And theory is great. You need to know all the theory, right? You learn it all, but... Theory can only tell you so much of how to weld a pipe. Like I understand capillary attraction, all that sort of stuff, but then you've actually got to get out and start welding because you can't just learn the theory and not put it into practice. And you know what? Some of us know the gospel. But we've not stepped into actually practicing that in the world. And you know what? You won't be great at the start, and that's okay. I was woeful at welding at the beginning, but the more I tried, the more I did it, the better I got. I remember the first time I tried to start talking to the guys at work on the wharves about Jesus, you know, I was terrible, I was combative, you know, I'd miss opportunities or I'd jump into the wrong time and I'd be like, but Jesus said, and it just was horrible, it was horrible. But at least I was learning what didn't work, at least I knew like, okay, that doesn't work and one day this guy comes up to me and goes, you're a Christian, I've got questions for you and I was freaking out, I'm like, oh my gosh. Don't ask me questions. I don't know. Like, I'm a new Christian. I don't know what I'm talking about. And so he asked me all these series of questions. And I was shocked at how much of the sermons that I listened to actually went in. Because then they were coming out of my mouth. I was like, wow. Like, but the Holy Spirit 
is in you and he wants to work through you. And he's going to bring things to memory to be able to share God's love with these people. And I was able to share. And over a couple of weeks, he ended up giving his life to Christ, going to get baptized in a church up at Brisbane because the wars were at Brisbane. And praise God that God used a dumb wolfie like me, right? Like, I don't know what I'm doing, but God used me. And this is the most beautiful thing. He wants to use you as well. It's funny because after a while, he said to me a couple of months later, he goes, you're going to be a preacher one day. And I was like, absolutely not. I will never get up. I don't get up in front of two people. I will never get up in front of a crowd ever in my life. And again, God's like, okay, mate. We'll see. (laughs) So we can look at it like this, right? That the Bible is a textbook. This is how we learn the theory. Church services and small groups, they're the classroom. But the world is the practical. We need to actually engage with the world. Alpha, if you've never done Alpha, come and do Alpha. Alpha is a great way to put it into practice. We have people come that don't know Jesus, people that come that actually even hate Jesus, and we get to sit down, watch a video, and then just enter into conversation about who this Jesus is. So if you want to have a practice or sit with someone who's done Alpha before and learn, it's a great place to come and do that. But we're all commanded to put the gospel into practice, and we can actually grow in that. We can grow in sharing the Christian faith. Trust me, if I can, anyone can do it, right? But once we're prepared, we then have to speak life and hope. He says to give the reason for the hope that you have. Stacey said last week that our lives should create questions. Like People should notice that we're Christians by the way we act, by the way we treat other people. And, and we should be so full of hope and love that that makes people actually come and ask us questions. You know, the same time when I just left the wars, I took a voluntary redundancy, but they announced it, and it took a couple of years for it to come into fruition. And so for a couple of years, there was all this anxiety going around work of, am I going to have a job? I'm freaking out. I've been here my whole life. I've got a family and kids. The guys were just freaking out. And a few of them said to me, why are you not worried? Why doesn't it freak you out? And I'm like, oh, well, because I know my God loves me. I know my God will, will provide for me. Yeah, I might you know, have to go work at Woolies, but so be it. That's okay. It doesn't mean he doesn't love me or, or he hasn't got me in his hands. I'm just not worried about that stuff. And so they should see a difference in each and every one of us. So how do we actually practically engage in conversation and share the hope that we have? Well, it's really good to ask good questions. We can just come in all guns blazing, be like, let me tell you about Jesus, right? And know nothing about them. Hey, what are you passionate about? What do you think on this subject? Ask open-ended questions. Don't ask yes and no questions. Ask open-ended ones. Tell me why you feel that way. Tell me why you're really upset about that or tell me why you don't believe in the resurrection. Ask questions, listen and actively listen. And the way we actively listen is we genuinely want to know where they're at. So then we can actually come back and share where we're at. You know, often I would be talking to someone, I go, yep, I understand that. So they're talking about the resurrection, rubbish, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, okay, tell me why. And they start telling me, I go, I can understand that. Yeah, I can understand why you have that point of view. I'm not agreeing with them. I'm just saying I understand. I do understand why they come to that position. But it's opening up this conversation. So then once they're finished, I can actually say, I totally understand your worldview and that makes a lot of sense. Can I now share why I believe what I believe? And after you've actively listened and actually cared, there's no fighting going on there. Like in Alpha, they used to give me all the atheists. Because some atheists would literally come to Alpha, they'd get invited and they'd come to prove the Christians wrong. So they would come and we'd watch the first video and we'd sit in the group and I'd ask them a question and they would just attack. 
this is a bunch of rubbish, rah, rah, rah. And I go, okay, tell me about that. They're expecting me to go, no, it's not, the Bible says. I go, okay, tell me about that. Well, the Bible, I go, oh, yeah, I can understand how you have that view. Tell me more. Why do you think that? And at the end, they're fully disarmed because someone generally wants to understand where they're at. And they don't want to fight, and I don't want to fight because then in the end, I just say, okay, can I tell you about how I feel or how I understand this? Because if I say, well, the Bible says you're wrong and uh, Jesus did rise from the dead and you're going to hell. Like, do you think they're going to come back? I say, I totally understand your position. Can I now share with you why I believe in the resurrection? Why I believe that Jesus actually rose again? Because you see, when we say, this is what the Bible says, it doesn't work because the Bible actually says in this verse, it says, give the reason for the hope that you have. So I worked out that using my story was the best way to share the Bible with people. I use I instead of you should. Like guys would go or girls would say, Jesus is a mythical figure made up by the disciples. He never existed. And I can go, well, you're really ignorant and dumb, aren't you? Because historically, that's not disputed. I could go there, right? But that's just, that's just being nasty. Just genuinely being nasty. Where I could say, okay, I understand. Tell me more about that. And they tell me, and they say, can I share with you, when I first became a Christian, this was something I struggled with. Like, I need to know that he was a real person, right? So I went and researched it. And I actually found that there's no single historian that would deny that Jesus actually lived. And there's even writings from Josephus, who was a Jewish Roman historian, outside of the Christian faith that talk about Jesus, this man who came and did amazing miracles and was crucified, and, and they report him to have risen again. So when, when I went and researched all that sort of stuff, I found that, well, I couldn't deny it. So then the only question I could ask myself then was, okay, is he who he says he is? Is he just a crazy guy or is he literally Jesus, the son of God? And so I'm using I, I'm not saying you're wrong, I'm saying this is my understanding of where I've come to that. And what that does is invites the men to think about it because the walls aren't up. Another practical way is using Bible stories. You know, there's a Bible story for every single part of life. Ecclesiastes says there's nothing new under the sun. I love that verse, right? Because there isn't anything new under the sun. People back then, just like now, would murder. There'd be tyrants. There was pandemics. There was all sorts of evil going on back in those days. The only difference is we just do it like digitally now sometimes, where we bag people out instead of face to face. But there's nothing really new under the sun. So the question is, can I articulate and contextualize Bible stories that are relevant to the conversation I'm having with someone? Can you recount in your own words Bible stories that are relevant to the situation that the person's in that you're talking to? So someone might be talking to me and go, I'm too far gone. I've done way too many sins for God to love me. I go, oh, okay. Well, let me tell you about a guy in the Bible. His name's Saul. Now, Saul was there when they stoned Stephen. He was a Christian. And they stoned him. And then Saul went out to persecute the church. He would grab Christians, put them in jail. Many of them would die. And he was off on a journey to get more Christians and throw them into jail. And Jesus appears to him. Jesus reveals to him who he is. And he turns and he converts. And he becomes a Christian. And he ends up writing nearly half of the New Testament. So if you think you're too far gone, have you killed any Christians lately? <laughs> Most people would say no. Exactly. God had a grace for him. He's got way more than enough for you. So I've taken a Bible story and I've shared how what they've said is not going to stop them coming to Jesus. What if someone said they have just so much shame and guilt? 
like maybe sexual sin or whatever it is, God can't possibly love me. I'm way too broken and used and abused. So let me tell you about a girl named Mary. Mary's a prostitute. She had seven demons. Jesus cast them all out and she became one of the disciples that followed him around in his ministry, ministering to the people, ministering with Jesus. She was the first one to see the resurrected Christ. When he came out of the tomb and he goes, go and tell my disciples, trust me, there's no shame, there's no sin, there's no brokenness that can't be redeemed in Christ. It's all there for you. Or if someone is struggling with unforgiveness, I just can't forgive. That's it. I just cannot forgive. They've hurt me too much. I can use this story and go, you know what? I struggle with that too. All of us do, right? We get hurt. Then we struggle with forgiveness. I can go, well, guess what? The Bible says, it says, if you don't forgive, you're going to hell. The Father won't forgive you. Or I could say, yeah, I struggle with that too. And there's this story in the Bible that Jesus tells. He tells this parable about this guy who owed a king like a million dollars. And the king pulls him in. He says, give me what you owe me. And he didn't have the money to pay. He goes, have mercy upon me. I can't pay you. And the king had mercy and said, look, I forgive you the whole debt. Off you go. And the guy walks away. He's out in the street and he sees someone that owes him 10 bucks and he grabs him. He goes, you owe me 10 bucks. He goes, have compassion on me. Have mercy. I can't pay you the 10 bucks. And you would think after being forgiven a million dollars, he goes, don't worry about it. He goes, no. Gives him to the jailers. They put him in jail. King hears about it. Pulls that guy in front of him and says, you wicked servant. I just forgave you all of that and you wouldn't forgive a guy $10? And, you know, when I look at that story and I think about my own life, And I'm holding unforgiveness on someone because they said something to me. But Jesus has forgiven all of this in my life. 33 years of not being a Christian, living my own way. He's wiped that all away. All the horrible things, the blasphemies I said against God. He's fully forgiven it, free of charge. How do I hold that one thing against that person? And do you know what that does for me? When I forgive them, I'm released from bitterness, from anger, from hurt. And I live a life of peace. That's available to you. So I've used these stories in the Bible. I could go on and on. There's so many different stories. But I use my experience of how it's changed my life. We can say the Bible says, but they'll just reject that because they actually don't believe the Bible. But if I share what God has done, what the Bible has done to change my life, they can't reject my experience. All they can do is look at it and go, oh, I actually want that. I want what this person has. Grace, hope, and love. So what we need to do is we need to learn these Bible stories and get into a habit of putting them into words to share with people. I do this in my core group. Every Wednesday night, we come together, we read scripture, we pray, and we go through the scripture at the start, and I throw someone under the bus. I go, Katie, tell me that back in your own words. It's like, okay. uh." (laughs) But what I'm doing is I do it myself. I'm trying to train myself to be able to put that into context and be able to tell it back to someone in my own words. You don't have to say it word for word, but you've got to understand what it's saying. So we're commanded to deliver the message of hope and truth. And he says we do this with gentleness and respect. We may not have all the answers. We may not know what to say, but we do know the way we're commanded by Scripture to say it. With gentleness and respect. It's not a turn and burn. Jesus didn't hurl abuse at Zacchaeus up the tree. He actually invited him in. He invited him into relationship, into conversation through love. Jesus was gentle with sinners in a way that reflects God's grace. And we should do the same. The turn or burn approach is actually disobedient to God's word. 
You might be sitting there going, so, so Scott, you're one of those guys that hides from the truth, you know, won't tell them the truth about Scripture. Not at all. If you ever come and see me preach, I never hide from anything in Scripture. If you ever come to Alpha, I'm open and honest with Scripture, but I do it in a way that's gentle and with respect. So yes, here's the reality. If we reject Christ's offer for salvation, we do spend eternity separate from him. And the Bible depicts that as a horrible place of pain and suffering. But here's the good news. None of us have to go there. Jesus has come and did what needed to be done to restore us back into a relationship with, with God and, and, and have eternal life. I can do, I can keep true to the scripture, but do it with gentleness and respect. Paul in Athens goes and preaches in Athens and he looks at the culture and he respects the culture and he brings truth in the midst of it. He looks and goes, where's a way in that I can bring Christ? And in Acts 17, he says, then Paul stood in the midst of the Areopagus. Messed that one up the first service too. Um, Men of Athens, I perceive that in all things you are very religious, for I was passing through and considering the objects of your worship. I even found an altar with this inscription, to the unknown God. So Paul's walking through Athens, and he's looking at their culture. He's like, oh, I perceive they're very religious. They're very spiritual. And he sees this altar, and it says, to the unknown God. And then he says, therefore, the one whom you worship without knowing, him I proclaim to you. God who made the world and everything in it, since he is Lord of heaven and earth, does not dwell in temples made with hands. So he goes around, he's like, I can see there's a way in here. I'm not coming in with a hammer, I'm not coming in with a Bible to smack him over the head. I'm like, okay, I see that you're religious, you have this altar of the unknown God, here's my in to tell you about who this God is. It's Jesus Christ, and he's available to every single one of us. So here's the truth, if we follow the word of God and we're prepared to share the gospel in gentleness and love, we end up having a clear conscience. You see, when Jesus spoke to that rich young ruler, what happened? He says, what do I do to inherit eternal life? He goes, follow the law and prophets. He goes, I've done all that. And there's a verse that says, and Jesus loved him and said to him, okay, sell all you got, give it to the poor and come follow me. He's like, loved him. He's reaching out to him saying, come follow me. Those things are holding you back. Your trust is in your riches. Come follow me. And the guy turns and walks away. Does Jesus have a clear conscience? Absolutely. He extended his love and grace. He didn't hide from the truth. He said, you need to come follow me. And so we see this, this clear conscience. And you know what? It's, going, it's not always going to be great. When we share the gospel, we will suffer persecution if we're followers of Jesus. People will think we're crazy and mock us. I mean, they walked away from Jesus and mocked him. So it's expected for us too, right? But it's worth it. Because you're keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. For it is better if it is God's will to suffer for doing good than for evil. For Christ also suffered once for sins, for the righteous, for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. He has put to death in the body, but been made alive in the spirit. See, here's one example in scripture that you could memorize to articulate the gospel. There are so many different passages, so many different areas where you can go and memorize and go, okay, how can I explain the gospel to someone? Jesus suffered once for sins, that in that moment he died for the sins of all humanity, from all those before him who had their faith and trust in Yahweh to those after him that put their faith and trust in Jesus, that suffered once for sins, it's done. The righteous for the unrighteous, we were meant to be on the cross. We were meant to be paying for those sins. 
We deserve death for what we've done. But Jesus takes our place. The righteous takes the place of the unrighteous and takes all of our sin upon himself. And when he dies and goes to the grave, he takes that sin to the grave. And when he rose again in new life, he brings us back to God, right? The whole gospel is restoration, is restoring us back into relationship with the Father that we lost in the Garden of Eden. Put to death in the body and made alive by the Spirit. That's a picture of baptism. When we declare our faith in Jesus Christ, when we go into the water, our old person is dead. The person full of sin, stained with sin that is separate from God, is dead. Christ has put it to the grave. And when we rise again, we rise again to new life. By the power of the Holy Spirit, we are born again. That's just one way that we can share the gospel with that one verse. Does the band want to come up? You know, being intentional in gospel conversations, and in particular with people in the world, isn't inauthentic. We can think, oh, it's inauthentic, right? And some people you'd be sitting there thinking, oh, I'm just a salesperson. You're not a salesperson because you're not actually selling anything. If someone puts their faith and trust in Jesus, you get nothing in return. They get everything. We are intentional in conversation and authentic because the driver of our action is love. We share the gospel to see them redeemed, to see them restored, to see them forgiven, to see them empowered by the Holy Spirit and to see them receive eternal life. You're not a salesperson. You're a bringer of life, hope and love and blessing and forgiveness at full benefit to them and none to you. When I share the gospel in public or people I don't know, I don't care if they come to my church. When people come to Saving Faith through Alpha, I don't care if they stay at New Life. In fact, I actually make that absolutely clear. I get up the front at the end of Alpha and I say, if you've put your faith and trust in Jesus over these eight weeks, praise God. I'd implore you, find a Christian community where you can plug in, where they can encourage you, support you, where you can be discipled and grow in your faith. I don't want them to come to know Jesus just to come to my church. I don't preach the gospel week in, week out to build my kingdom. I preach it to build the kingdom of God. And you know what? When we have a kingdom mindset, when we revere Christ as Lord, we actually naturally grow as a community because the genuine love of God is present in amongst the people. I'm not afraid of other local churches being bigger and better than us. I'm really not scared of that. I actually wish there were more churches on the southern Gold Coast because there are thousands and thousands and thousands of people out there that don't know Jesus. Elevation Church just over the hill here. They're in New South Wales. Before we planted here, they got my wife and myself and the boys up on stage and they prayed for us. They prayed for us. That is kingdom mindset. They wanted to see us grow. They weren't scared that we were just on the other side of the hill. They actually pledged to give us money. They gave us $6,000 to help with the church plan. How amazing is that for kingdom mindset? And here's the beautiful thing. We get to give in return because this afternoon at 4 o'clock, Elevation is meeting here in this church for free because all their Queensland people are unable to go over the border and worship over there. They're in full lockdown. They're going to do a church service in this building. I'm not scared of them taking care of our people. I'm not scared if they have a 10 times better service or Lockie preaches 10 times better than me. I know he already does. But what if people come to know Jesus? Praise God, right? So church, what do we learn from 1 Peter 3? Let's not live in fear, but let's live in power and love. Let's revere Christ as Lord in our hearts. 
Let's be prepared. Let's know the gospel. Let's know God's word. Share the hope that you have. Use your testimony to be able to share the love of God, what he's done for you. And we do this with gentleness and respect. That's how love shares the gospel, with gentleness and respect. And after all that, we end up having a clear conscience with men, with humanity, and with God. So would you join me in prayer? Heavenly Father, I thank you so much uh, for your word, God. I, I pray that you would empower us, God. And in fact, I just come against the spirit of fear in, in Jesus' name right now. You will have no more say. You will have no more influence over our lives. God, fill us with your spirit that we will see opportunity to share your love and your grace with gentleness and respect, Lord. And if you're sitting here and, and, and you heard some of those stories of, of sin and, and, and brokenness and thought, God could never love me, he does. And there's an opportunity for you to come into a relationship with him. He loves you so much. You just need to repent from your sin, turn and put your faith and trust in Jesus that he died for your sins and that he rose again in victory over sin and death for you. So you can just simply pray in your heart. There's no magic prayer. You just come before God and go, God, I realize I'm a sinner. I'm going to put my faith and trust in you. Lord, if there's anyone here praying that prayer right now, I pray that you would restore them and fill them with your Holy Spirit. Now, I'm going to ask the rest of us in this moment of prayer as our heads are bowed. I'm going to ask you to do something courageous. I'm going to ask if, if, if you have fear when you're going to share the gospel, if, it's, if fear's stopping you sharing the love of Christ with people, I'm going to ask you to stand because I want to pray for you. So if you can just stand right now recognize I am standing like in my heart I am standing because there are times where I do not share God's love with people Heavenly Father I just thank you so much for your power for your mercy and for your grace Holy Spirit would you just come right now would you fill these people standing may you give them power May you give them wisdom. May you give them grace. May your love flow through them, Lord, like rivers of living water that people would taste that you are good and put their faith and trust in you. Oh, God, we pray for amazing stories that you're using your people for your purposes to redeem and restore. Bless them. Bless them in Jesus' name. Amen.